Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Welcome to the Billboard Charpy Podcast, Gary Trust, Billboard Senior Director of Charts. And hey guys, it's Trevor Anderson, a chart manager here at Billboard. Picking up where we left off last week, uh, starting our four-part countdown last week of the 100 biggest Hot 100 hits of all time, uh, celebrating everything, 60th anniversary for the Billboard Hot 100, August 4th, 1958 is when it started. So uh, for the first time ever, we're actually uh, presenting the top 600 songs in the charts history. That's on Billboard.com top 100 artists of all time, uh, all these other features. And uh, here on the podcast, we're looking at the top 100 songs specifically, uh, going week by week for four weeks, uh, counting down from number 100 to number one. Well, no matter what your sonic preference is, we are sure to have it today on the podcast, going through another 25 songs, counting from number 75 to 51. We'll get to the halfway mark of the top 100 songs on the Hot 100 all time. Remember last time we counted... The, uh, from 100 down to 76, that took us from Waiting for a Girl Like You by Foreigner all the way to Ebony and Ivory by Paul McCartney and Stevie Wonder. And are you ready, Gary, to dive right back in? We'll start with something actually very contemporary and uh, jump around for a couple decades. Here we go, number 75 through 71 to kick us off today of the top Hot 100 songs of all time. And Hitman. 
75 through 71 in the Billboard Hot 100's top 100 songs of all time of the first 60 years of the chart dating to its 1958 debut. Back at number 75, Moves Like Jagger, Maroon 5, featuring Christina Aguilera. Number one, 2011, a real, uh, not even just a comeback of sorts for Maroon 5, but sort of kicked off an even greater level in their career. They'd been obviously big uh, for the early part of the 2000s, but uh, by the end of the decade, they were kind of uh, at a good level, but not anywhere near the level they've been in the 2010s. This was the one that really did it. It was more of a disco-leaning sound in in some ways and uh, really signals Maroon 5 moving from what had been kind of a rock-based pop band to uh, just all-out pop this decade. Uh, Number 74. It's always funny when I try to say these words. Whoomp. There it is. Exclamation point. Did I say it right? Yeah, I don't know if that had a whole lot of energy behind it. We're going to need to take two on. We're going to need to take two on that. Whoomp. There it is. Womp, womp. What do y'all think about that? Womp. Tag team. I'd say that. Name of the act. I know there were remakes of it pretty much right after that. One was an Adams Family version by tag team as well. And maybe the way I just said it was closer to uh, there was a Mickey Mouse and Minnie Mouse and a Goofy version for, for a Disney compilation as well. Maybe I was doing the, the Mickey Mouse version. Yeah. There, yeah. There go. That. <laughs> Disney always trying to be in the zeitgeist, trying to always, you know, connect with the kids. Had a Mickey Unwrapped album, yeah, in the early 90s. Um, some covers, some parody kind of things. And, of course, Whoop, There It Is. Whoop, There It Is. That's how you was say it. So, uh, yeah, that's how you guys say it. You know, so hot at the time that, of course, Disney jumped on. So, I guess that's one way to know that you got a pretty big hit is when, you know, like, I guess nowadays maybe it's like the Kids Bop Kids. But maybe back then that was Disney trying to do that cover. Also, that was uh, one of two songs we'll hear in these 25 songs this week uh, that didn't go to number one. It was number two hit in 1993. Yeah, if you want to blame uh, the songs that kept that at a number one, your targets are Mariah Carey with the song Dream Lover. And before that, UB40, Can't Help Falling in Love. Uh, Number 73, Aquarius, Let the Sunshine In by Fifth Dimension. It was a medley of two songs from here. Got number one in 1969, uh, I Love Rock and Roll. Number 72, Joan Jett and the Blackhearts. Number one for seven weeks in 1982. You know what I think of uh, when I think of that song is uh, blocked, uh, talking about songs that didn't get to number one, got to number two. Uh, We Got the Beat by the Go-Go's. Peaked at number two for three weeks. Couldn't get past I Love Rock and Roll. Uh, number 71, Because I Love You, the Postman song from Stevie B, uh, number one hit in 1990. Uh, this is what's kind of interesting is uh, Stevie B is in this sort of a, a rare uh, class of artists, I guess, who uh, their biggest hit isn't really representative of their entire sound. Uh, this was a ballad. Uh, up until that point, he'd, he never had a top 10 hit. He'd put out all uh, up-tempo dance freestyle songs. He's a real uh, leader of the freestyle sound in the late 80s, cover girls, so those kind of acts. And uh, this song just kind of came out of nowhere. It was very different, uh, maybe a little bit more mainstream because it was a ballad. Uh, huge number one for four weeks. But uh, if you listen to his catalog, it just it's completely different. I was trying to think of other acts who their biggest hit really isn't representative of uh, their entire sound. I was uh, thinking maybe The Cure, Love Song, which really kind of a ballad compared to uh, most of their other catalog doesn't really uh, match that uh, maybe kind of a, a more uh, obscure uh, example Bobby McFerrin don't worry be happy isn't really he does a lot of uh, acapella stuff like that but nothing that really sounds like that he uh, apparently doesn't even do that song at concert anymore it just doesn't 
feel uh, like it's really a part of uh, his his main sound. So uh, sometimes bands uh, acts that break through like that. A lot of uh, hair bands in the late 80s, early 90s, too, they uh, might have a huge hit with a ballad extreme with more than words. But uh, if you buy the whole album, it's probably not going to sound like that. So sometimes it's uh, really based on the sound of a song that just happens to work. And maybe that's why they do something a little bit more mainstream that just kind of cuts through. Actually, I'm, I'm such a Stevie B fan, Trevor. I think we need to dig into Stevie B's catalog. Here's how uh, some other songs he has, not because I love you, son. Come on in, let's begin. I love, I want to be the one you're giving, you're loving. I want to be the one you're kissing and hugging. I want to be the one you dream of at night when you be the one. Stevie B on the Billboard Charity Podcast. All right, moving on from number 70 to number 66 coming up as we count down the 100 biggest songs of all time in the Billboard Hot 100's history on the Billboard Charity Podcast. <laughs>
that was number 70 through 66. Counting down the top 100 hits on the Hot 100 all time. At number 70, you guys heard The Boy Is Mine, Brandy and Monica. Funny enough, in the year that would finally give us the uh, Whitney-Mariah duet that many people hoped for, thought could happen, maybe wondered, the biggest female collaboration of the year belongs to sort of uh, the next generation superstars, Brandy and Monica uniting for the number one hit lasting 13 weeks in the summer of 1998. If you grew up with my generation, you know this song very, very well. I don't know. How, I mean, I guess obviously because it was a monster hit in the summer. I think I was like seven, eight at the time. So it was one of like the, it was one of the first songs that I think like I guess I can remember being like like inescapably big. You heard it at, on the radio all the time. You heard it like even, it when it lasted when you got back to school. Of course, it was just like I don't know some sort of fun silly song. Um, in particular, one of the cool things about this song, also in terms of its chart legacy, is oddly enough. For as much as I think, you know, we love our, our divas and our our women chart stars, a lot of w- female collaborations do not make it to number one on the Hot 100. The Boy Is Mine is actually only the second time in 1998, so the Hot 100 around for just about 40 years at that point, only the second time at the time that a collaboration between two female solo stars hit number one. And it's only happened one more time since that uh, female solo artists have gotten together and made a number one hit. We're going to pass it to my friend Gary, who's going to, uh, let's, see if he, let's see if he knows. No more tears? Enough is enough? I didn't even get to answer the question. I don't need the whole question. But that was, okay, yeah. So the first time that we ever had a female collaboration to number one is going to be Barbara Streisand, Donna Summer, No More Tears, Enough is Enough, in 1979. So almost 20 years before The Boy's Mine. And almost 20 years, past 20 years into the Hot 100 existence. Uh, but do you know after 1998, the most recent time that any female soloist got together and made a number one hit? Lady Marmalade, of course, yeah, yeah. yeah. So we, we had we had No More Tears and The Boy's Mind, both uh, duets. But Lady Marmalade, the remake in 2001 with Christina Aguilera, Pink, Maya, and Lil' Kim. We have not had any collaboration between uh, female singers make it to number one since. Some people are thinking... We've gotten close, of course. You know, you could look at Bang Bang, Jesse J, Ariana Grande, right. with Nikki that got to number three um, a few years back. We've had uh, Beautiful Liar, Shakira, Beyonce also getting to number three. So kind of an interesting sort of chart phenomenon. We've seen so many male-male duets make it um, that the, the the women-women duets don't quite don't quite get there. Telephone as well. Telephone also right. an- another number three. I guess I guess three is the magic number yeah. for. For these uh these duets, but yeah, Lady Gaga, Beyonce, um, also one of the big examples from this decade. Um, not not of course that doesn't say anything about the quality of the songs; they hold up just as well as any other ones. But just in terms of a chart stat, kind of funny that only three times we've seen uh, women get together and make a number one hit. All right, number sixty nine, right above "Boy Is Mine," we got "Royals" by Lord from twenty thirteen debut smash out of the gate for her really bringing her her huge worldwide fame number one for nine weeks in the fourth quarter 2013 number 68 we got just like starting over john lennon number one hit right at the end of 1980 of course 1980 uh year of infamy for lennon fans the song just like starting over hitting number one just a few weeks after he was murdered here in new york city um and one of the rare times that we've seen a posthumous number one from an artist 
Um, but actually, you know, John Lennon, just like starting over, kind of back in the discussion this year because in 2018, we saw another act have a posthumous number one in Tentacion and his song Sad, which hit number one on the Hot 100 uh, just after he was murdered in June. At number 67, we've got All About That Bass by Megan Trainer. I feel kind of guilty doing this because uh, for those who don't know, running joke around the office is that Gary is the world's biggest Megan Trainer fan because Megan and Gary, uh, some what's what is it? It's, we have some correspondence. She's been up at the office. She's given she wanted to give Gary a shout out at the Billboard Music Awards when she won an award one year, but she forgot. So she told people after the show she meant to shout out Gary. So what is the yeah. what is the trainer trust relationship? Gary. Let's let's get that aired yeah. out. Uh, remember last week I was giving a couple uh, examples of uh, brushes with fame where I. Almost uh, talked to Carly Simon, uh, met very quickly Paul Abdul. Uh, Megan Trainer went went much better. So, uh, no, what it comes down to is uh, 2014, All About That Bass, hit the Hot 100, debuted. So, uh, wrote a little story about how the song debuted and reached out uh, through the record label. And she was just so excited that Billboard was interviewing her because it was her first interview with Billboard. She couldn't believe she was on the Hot 100. Uh, she had a really nice conversation. She was really, uh, really fun, really happy about it. Uh, she is from uh, Nantucket. I, I worked on Martha's Vineyard before that, so I have a Massachusetts connection. So a little, little uh, New England kind, kind of a thing going on there. But uh, yeah, it was just really uh, fun to see her uh, charting and all the success she's had since. So uh, it's, it's about the history we have. It's not really much more, uh, any, anything juicier than that. But you did meet her once. Uh, at her show. Her father, matter her, her father's name's Gary too. So he's a he's a Gary T. So uh, yeah, a little, little connection Gary there as well. T can, oh, the Gary T Club. Make it stop. Make it stop. <laughs> also, really might get lost in the shuffle since we're just a few years removed from it right now. But uh, I think sort of pop historians will have to remember that you know the early 2010s, a big time for you know positive songs, self empowerment, self love songs, all about that bass. Definitely right in that category. Also with things like Born This Way, Firework, Katy Perry, uh, even Shake It Off, Taylor Swift. So um, definitely one of the the big lasting hallmarks is how big a song that was in an era that was all about embracing that sort of uh, message. And wrapping us up, number 66. Uh, if you love songs with hidden messages, we got a good one for you. Centerfold by the Jay Giles Band. Number one hit in 1982. I feel like people always are a little bit surprised when they like sort of sit down and dissect the storyline behind this maybe because like we live in a world where, like there aren't magazines a whole lot anymore and people don't have physical products like like yep yeah, this like your angel from your high school homeroom is now the centerfold in a uh, girly magazine what could that mean gary can you shed some light on this for us i was in uh second grade at the time so i'm gonna not say anything at all about that okay well if you don't know um i guess go to genius and look up the lyrics and uh figure it out but of course centerfold big hit for the jay giles band and makes the cut at 66 on the all-time list all right we're gonna keep going counting down numbers 65 through 61 once again here we go the top hot 100 hits of all time
a gold digger. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast. And I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait, is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher. Way over town, that digs on me. Saying she a gold digger, but she ain't messing with no broke, broke. Now I ain't saying she a gold digger, but she ain't messing with no broke, broke. Get down, girl, gon' head, get down. Get down, girl, gon' head, get down. Oh, then I saw her face. Now I'm a believer. Not her trace. Hooked out in my mind. Till I walk in Don't stop me Number 65 through 61 on the Billboard Hot 100's top 100 songs of all time. We're counting them down here on the podcast over uh, four weeks, uh, four batches of 25 at a time. Uh, number 65, The Sign from Ace of Bass, kind of really uh, foreshadowed that uh, pretty much the last uh, 20, 25 years or so, uh, Swedish pop has become so huge on the charts uh, right after Ace of Bass, all the Max Martin hits, Backstreet Boys and Sync, Britney, it all started coming along after that. But uh, Ace of Bass, a little bit before that, and uh, you know, other acts too, obviously, ABBA, Roxette, and uh, remember, Trevor, we had Per Gessel from Roxette on the podcast a few weeks ago, and we talked about Swedish pop and why it's so melodic over the years, and so it feels like that's always a question, but I never really heard the answer, and I thought Per Gessel really uh, had a good take where he said uh, Swedish folk music uh, is actually very melodic over the years, so people who grew up with that, they went pop, uh, they would take that penchant for melody and uh yeah very few countries have done that uh, better than, than swedish acts uh number 64 timbaland featuring one republic with apologize that's the other uh, song in these 25 songs that didn't go to number one but still big enough to be uh, in this list uh, got to number two in 2007 uh, kind of interesting i feel like a lot of people wouldn't uh 
maybe realize it's Timbaland featuring One Republic because you hear it and you hear uh, Timbaland's influence in the song, but it's just it's basically a One Republic song. Yes, I'm sure there were some contract negotiations that made this possible. I mean, this was on his own Shock Value album, which also had the song Give It To Me with Justin Timberlake and Nelly Furtado, both of whom in 2006 had massive years uh, thanks to their Timbaland produced hits. Timberlake, you know, was uh, that was Future Sex Love Sound year with Sexy Back, My Love, uh, What Goes Around Comes Around. Nelly Furtado really having a big, big, big pop breakthrough. Some people thought she might have sold out even a little bit, but uh, that was the year that Promiscuous and, and Maneater say it right on that loose album. So Timbaland was really the top dog. And I assume, you know, One Republic kind of knew that and uh, knew with his help they could get a massive hit, which they did. So maybe giving up the lead credit was worth it in the long run. Yeah, and if you hear the One Republic version on their own, it it, it just doesn't have that same kick to it. Uh, Timbaland really did punch it up, and it's k- kind of hard to, to imagine that maybe it maybe it wouldn't have ever really been a hit without his involvement. So uh, total total credit to him for uh, uh, earning that uh, lead uh, credit on that song. Uh, number sixty three, Gold Digger, Kanye West featuring Jamie Foxx. It almost feels like no other musical legend will be quite as paired with Jamie Foxx as Ray Charles. Of course, he was Ray Charles in the movie right. just the year before and won the Oscar um, at the top of 2005. So that was still very fresh on people's minds. So, um, you know, they, they kind of rode that Ray connection in a lot of ways. I mean, straight to the top of the charts. Of course, Lambs will lament this song because it knocked We Belong Together out of number one and single-handedly kept Shake It Off from getting to number one so i feel like um maybe i don't know gary as a lamb do you have a little little bitter taste in your mouth when you hear about gold digger for all the chart history it denied in mariah i was just thinking how uh lambs lost out to a fox that's that's right the fox got the lambs let's go (laughs) hunting trip atop the 100 thank god gary was not writing the headlines back then or any of the copy because he would have just i mean this would have been the fox, the hound, and the every every other Disney story wrapped up in one. Fox, hounds, lambs on the chart. All right, at 62. Well, now it's just writing itself because it's the monkeys. That wasn't planned. Who is the, I mean, who is this guy, you know? Where do <laughs> uh, they get him from? Uh, I'm a believer at number 62. The monkeys, uh, number one in 1966, uh, written by Neil Diamond. Uh, I actually spoke to one of the monkeys uh, earlier uh, on the Billboard Sharpie podcast. We had Mickey Dolan's on from the monkeys uh, looking back at uh, just their entire history. Just an amazing way they came onto the charts just uh, out of nowhere with the TV show, obviously. Uh, but uh, you, know, you can have a TV show. It doesn't guarantee that you're going to have all these hit songs. But uh, obviously having Neil Diamond as a writer on multiple hits of theirs and just all-time classics. For I'm a believer, Daydream believer, all the uh, hits they came out with in uh, 66, 67. And they just uh, number one on the Billboard 200 albums chart for months. And uh, number one's in the Hot 100. So just really one of the biggest acts in uh, 66 into 67. So uh, Mickey Dolenz talked about what it was like being a monkey at the height of their success in the late 60s. So much happens so fast, you know. Right. Uh, it's like being in the eye of a hurricane. You, you just can't absorb anything more, you know. Uh, you get that kind of deer caught in the headlights <laughs> kind of look. Right. What did you enjoy most about, it sounds like everything was a whirlwind and maybe it was just all one big blur for the most part, but did you like making the TV show more, the acting? Did you like going in at night and recording the vocals or did you love all of it? 
Well, I liked all of it. I mean, it, it, it was incredibly exciting. And, you know, I approached it as a as an entertainer. Um, I knew that the, it was going to require uh, singing and playing because at the audition you had to be able to sing and, and play an instrument to get in the audition, right. to get through the auditions. And my audition piece, for example, was Johnny Be Good. Because uh, I played acoustic guitar and uh, and uh, folk, well, started with uh, classical guitar, you know, Segovia kind of stuff, and as a kid, and then morphed into um, uh, folk music uh, in the early '60s, and then that morphed into rock and roll. And like I say, I so I knew the show was more than just about acting, but I was a singer. My parents had were both singers; they were both in the business, so. You know, I, I I can't say I liked one bit more than the other. I, w- I would say I was probably more comfortable on the television set because I'd already done it. I'd already had a, a TV series as a kid uh, called Circus Boy. Right, right. And, and the same studio, in fact, and shot parts of it in the same soundstage. Yeah. When I when I showed up on the, uh, at the Columbia Screen Gems lot, uh, you know, to start working on the series, it was the same guy at the gate that had <laughs> ten years earlier known me as Mickey Braddock and Circus Boy. So I, I'm a, I was probably more comfortable just because I was familiar with it, right. uh, the process. And I was not as familiar with the process of recording yet. Um, but I do remember uh, li- liking it all. I mean, how can you not when you you're selling all those records and you're getting that incredible reaction. Mickey Dolan's The Monkees on the Billboard Sharpie podcast, looking back at uh, I'm a Believer and uh, all their uh, hits. And uh, I feel like uh, even if uh, you grew up long after The Monkees were originally on TV, everyone probably knows about them because uh, through reruns and uh, being online, uh, it's really kind of a goofy, weird uh, humor that they had uh, on that show. But uh, I think they're, they're still beloved all these years later, both for the music and for the show. Uh, wrapping things up uh, in those five songs, Kesha, the one that got it all started for TikTok in 2010, has the distinction of being the first number one hit of the 2010s. So uh, January 2nd, 2010, the chart was dated. Kesha got to number one, number one for nine weeks with her debut hit. Uh, we're almost at the end of the decade already, Trevor, which seems kind of crazy. Is Drake going to have the last number one of the 2010s? Can we pencil that in at this point? Um, I'm sure a lot of people might think that, yeah. you know, I mean, it, it's just, it's just one week. It could be anybody's game. Stay tuned to billboard.com for the next two years and you'll find out. Yeah. All right. Moving on to number 60 through number 56, the biggest hits of all time and the hot 100s first 60 years. Lady, I'm your knight in shining armor and I love you. You have made me what I am, and I am yours. Oh, 
Make me your selection Show you the way love's supposed to be Baby, you should let me love you Love you, love you Love you, yeah Right, we are up to the top 60 for the 60th anniversary of the Hot 100, counting down the biggest hits to ever make the chart. Coming in at number 60, we've got the song Lady by Kenny Rogers. Some people may not know this song actually written and produced by whom, Gary? Your buddy, Lionel Richie. <laughs> My buddy, Lionel Richie. Yeah, uh, Lionel, of course, the former frontman of the Commodores, got a call to write some material for Kenny. This is... Right around the same time, pretty soon, he's writing Endless Love, starting his own solo work, so a lot to juggle. So Lionel and Kenny, very good friends, and obviously very successful collaborators. A number one hit for Kenny in 1980. Kenny's going to be number one again uh, a couple years after that with Islands in the Stream with Dolly Parton. So a phenomenon that we don't see too much of today, but uh, nice to see, of course, some country representation on this list. And uh, Lionel Richie, who you spoke to uh, previously on the podcast, we're going to hear from him coming up because he's got uh, more music coming up. Uh, he's already we already heard two songs by him uh, previously, but uh, you know I will say too when I heard this song come up when uh, SiriusXM was playing number ones, uh, I actually thought it was Lionel Richie at first because his imprint is just all over that song. It's so haunting. It just it feels like a Lionel Richie written ballad. All right, number fifty nine, "Staying Alive" by the Bee Gees. Uh, really, just one of those songs. What can you say? I mean, it's it's become so iconic that it's really transcended uh, just about everything that it's been involved with. Of course, from Saturday Night Fever, massive movie that gave way to the soundtrack, which made the Bee Gees the undisputed kings of the disco movement. And of course, staying alive, especially you know with the little disco move that everybody does with the finger pointing in the air. I mean, you this song will live forever. Perhaps my favorite sort of chart nerd stat about this song is uh, it actually was the first of four number one hits in a row that Barry Gibb, who of course is one of the three Gibbs in the Bee Gees, that he co-wrote. So Staying Alive was number one for four weeks, knocked out by the song Love is Thicker Than Water by the younger brother, Andy Gibb. So we're keeping it in the Gibb family. Uh, the older brothers pay him back, knock him out of number one after two weeks with the song Night Fever. And then after eight weeks, the song If I Can't Have You by Yvonne Elliman, also from the Saturday Night Fever soundtrack, that becomes number one. So Barry Gibb for 15 straight weeks, co-writer on a number one hit. All right, at 58, we got Let Me Love You by Mario. Another, again, if you grew up in, in that that sweet spot, sort of millennial generation, classic R&B song, number one, nine weeks at the top of 2005. Number 57, Blondie, Call Me. You know, sometimes one of those things where, where a movie can make a song and then somehow the movie kind of fades into the background. I feel like Call Me might be in that camp. Correct me if I'm wrong. It's from the movie American Gigolo starring Richard Gere. 
which I feel like is not held up nearly as well as the song Call Me has. Yeah, I actually talked to uh, Diane Warren earlier this year on the podcast. Same thing with Because You Love Me, a huge number one hit uh, to this day, just a really a 90s classic, but uh, up close and personal, the movie doesn't maybe quite not, hold up as well. Not quite ringing, you know, not quite ringing the bells. Um, I think Celine probably got another movie shot a couple years later that is uh, probably stood the test of time. But uh, Blondie definitely wrote Call Me to Huge Success, six weeks at number one in 1980. And at 56, bringing it back to something younger listeners may know, Boom Boom Pow, Black Eyed Peas, number one for 12 weeks in 2009. And we're about a decade removed, really, from when Boom Boom Pow got to be number one. But what a year that set off for the Peas that I don't know if anybody really saw coming. Uh, Boom Boom Pow, 12 weeks at number one was knocked out of the top spot by their own song, I Got a Feeling, 14 weeks at number one. We're going to see I Got a Feeling coming up later on this countdown. But 26 consecutive weeks at number one for the Black Eyed Peas in 2009. That is something no artist had ever done before and no one has done since. Yeah, I think uh, you look back, it's... Uh... It might seem a little surprising for people who just look back and, and go through chart history and see, wow, the Black Eyed Peas were the biggest thing in 2009, maybe because they, they just never really followed it up with uh, anything after that on, on really any kind of level. Fergie uh, took a long break after that. So they, they hit this huge high and just kind of let that be uh, their moment. Yeah, and it seems like, of course, with Fergie not officially part of the Peas anymore, them moving back into sort of the direction that they were in before they really got you know, huge in the mid 2000s and certainly by the late 2000s, maybe the last, you know, commercial stand for the Black Eyed Peas. But uh, yeah, like Gary said, I mean, it's one of those things where when you look back and if you grew up in that time, you'll you'll hear that song and you'll be like, oh, whoa, I I almost forgot the Peas used to be everywhere. And uh, certainly they're going to be uh, on this list a couple times. Some of the biggest Hot 100 hits we've ever seen. I guess with that lyric too, uh, so 2000 and late sort of times it a little bit to its era too who let gary on this mic so, i'm hi. telling you did i say that better than i said whoop earlier um was yeah uh, yeah yeah i'll give that to you yeah, getting better all right so 12 weeks number one for the black eyed peas we're going to see a lot more members of the double digit club coming up just now the last five songs to bring us to the halfway point on the countdown of the top 100 hits on the hot 100 of all time numbers 55 through 51 Check them out.
through 51 the biggest hot 100 hits the top 100 all time in the chart's 60th uh, anniversary of celebrating uh, i would say two of the most enduring hits ever in the hot 100's history uh, in these uh, five songs uh, back at number 55 end of the road by boys to men uh, 13 weeks at number one in 1992 so a record uh, at that point uh, beat two songs that it had uh, 10 weeks at number one each you light up my life debbie boone in 1977 and then uh, physical olivia newton john in 1981 so uh right past that 13 weeks but it's actually kind of funny how this works out trevor uh, didn't hold the record for too long because the song at number 54 would then break it 14 weeks for whitney houston i'll always love you funny how that works out that you you know it takes all this time to break a record and then oh, whitney says oh, i'll break it too well not a complete coincidence the chart had changed methodology at that point nielsen data had become a part of the chart at that point so we started seeing longer uh, reigns at number one and even whitney's record wouldn't last for too long because uh, one sweet day would come along for uh, 16 weeks at number one and despacito has since tied that so uh, it's kind of been handed off a little bit but uh yeah one of the most uh, enduring hits really in in the rock era uh because it's had so many hit versions. So uh, Dolly Parton had a hit with it in 1974, again in 1982. Uh, Whitney brought it back in 1992. And uh, Dolly, again, even had another version in uh, 1995 with Vince Gill. So it's had uh, these multiple runs. It's just uh, never gone away and just uh, always seems to come back. Came back again a couple years ago in the Forever Country uh, medley as well. It was really at the basis of that song. That was a number one country hit. So uh, just uh, really just a total classic going on uh, 40 something years at this point. And uh, we got to talk to Clive Davis about it on the podcast last year. So it was really cool to talk to uh, just a complete icon of the music business. Clive, uh, part of the Bodyguard soundtrack, uh, helming that, getting uh, the songs he wanted on there with Whitney and making it one of the biggest albums uh, of all time and making this one of the biggest hits of all time. Uh, we had him again on the podcast last year. Clive Davis talking about Whitney Houston, the bodyguard era, on the Billboard Chappie podcast. David Foster and Linda Thompson, his wife at the time, wrote, I Have Nothing. Um, I came up and submitted Run to You. Uh, and lurking in the background was always the question of what song would be in the climactic airport scene. And it really was Kevin, uh, Kevin Costner, who made the suggestion uh, of I Will Always Love You. And really, he made the suggestion with simultaneous um, contact uh, with David Foster, with Whitney, and with myself. Um, And all three of us, uh, without consultation with the other, but all three of us responded unanimously that it was a great idea. Um, and that's how I Will Always Love You got in the film. Obviously, the, the song fits perfectly in, in turn with the movie. 
Was there any apprehension uh, on anybody's part, whether whether yours or Whitney's, about turning uh, what was a country song that people knew so well into uh, this this huge pop and R and B ballad? It has a forty five second acapella intro, which which may have been a tough sell at radio. Was anybody worried about how it would work outside of the film? You know, I'll never forget the first time I heard it. It, it without question sent chills up and down me. Now it sounds cliche that, that, but the answer is that's what happened. And you get that spine tingle, you get that reaction, uh, and you just say, "Wow!" And I heard it. I loved it. Uh, and then in a succession, David added instrumentation to it, sweetened it. Um, and kept sending um, new mixes and versions of the song, each of which I, I said, you know, it's not as strong as that first one. And obviously, you got to you got to really guard against getting what they call demo whites falling in love with that first rough cut or that demo, you know. But I just kept listening uh, and saying it's a little slick. This instrumentation. It doesn't capture the rawness of the emotion which made that first cut so very special. So we kept having this dialogue. And then one day, Warner Brothers called me and they said, look, you're past the deadline. You've chosen this. This is the first single. The movie's opening. You literally have, you know, hours to decide you got to come with that single that's our contract and i decided to release that very first cut and there was a very heated exchange uh initially that first time when david learned that i had um decided to go with that first cut and as i say he called me every obscenity that one could ever imagine hearing um but I must say, within 24 hours, he called me up and he said, my God, I'm getting calls like I've never gotten. People, are, they, they're driving to the side of the road. They can't even continue riding normally and hearing the record uh, on the radio. And he he said, okay. He, you know, he was really wonderfully... Uh, appreciative. Clive Davis on the Billboard Charity Podcast talking Whitney Houston and I Will Always Love You. Uh, also in those uh, five songs we just heard, uh, No One, Alicia Keys, her third number one hit after uh, her debut had fallen in 2001 and then My Boo in 2004, uh, 2007 for No One. Number 52, that's the other song I was saying, uh, these enduring hits, just songs that uh, always seem to come back throughout the rock era. Candle in the Wind, 1997, with Something About the Way You Look Tonight, Elton John. It's a double-sided single back when uh, physical singles could have uh, two sides, the A and B side. But the way it had to come back. It's uh, obviously a, a sad reason why. So uh, originally, 1973, uh, Elton John uh, song was about Marilyn Monroe. Became a live a top 10 hit, 1987 for Elton. And then uh, 10 years later, it was back, uh, sadly, for uh, the funeral of uh, Princess Diana, his really good friend. 
And uh, just an incredible first week sales, a Nielsen era record, 3.4 million uh, physical copies sold in that first week. Nothing has uh, ever really come close to that since. But uh, yeah, I would say that. I will always love you. There's in this short list of songs that multiple generations ha- have known their own version of the song. And uh, Ed Sheeran just covered the song for a new uh, Elton John uh, covers album that came out this year. So uh, even to someone who's having some of the biggest hits today, uh, they all know the song. They're all putting their own spin on it. So uh, yeah, that I will always love you. Uh, Numbers 52 and 54 are near each other. And wrapping up the first half of our countdown over these first two weeks, Blurred Lines, Robin Thicke featuring T.I. and Pharrell, Song of the Summer, five years ago. It's kind of weird to say it was five years ago. It still feels like it's kind of a recent hit, maybe just against all these songs that are decades older. You don't think so? Subject matter making it a little bit dated? Uh, you know, I, I kind of wonder, maybe this is a good one to end on. You know, we we look back, obviously, at so many of these massive hits that were hits in their time. But for Blurred Lines, I wonder sort of what the long tail is going to be. Because you see a lot of these songs, I Will Always Love You, Into the Road, Staying Alive, that, you know, way past their primes. Once those sounds have expired, somehow those songs still endure. Blurred Lines, of course, you know, with, with the subject coming at a time where really social attitudes are starting to shift. It's kind of got the stain of the the Marvin Gaye trial on it as well. Right. Kind of makes you wonder for a song that, you know, as you said, Song of the Summer in 2013, we were all vibing, feeling. Five years later, is it, I mean, it's almost taboo to, can you like Blurred Lines? Can you play Blurred Lines? It feels, it feels very, you know, kind of crazy how big it was at the time and, and maybe where it ends up in, in the grand scheme of history. Yeah, I, I will say I've heard it even recently on AC Radio, which is maybe some ways the last place you think you hear that and it you know sonically it feels like a good time uh, just a fun summertime song and maybe that's all people hear when they hear it i think everyone's you know this this has been a discussion a lot with a lot of a lot of people in pop culture uh, can you separate the artist from the art in certain cases that's their personal choice i guess for everybody but yeah that's what it's what looking back at these uh these songs uh, do you this is how big they were at the time that's why they're on this chart because they were uh, the biggest hits of their individual era and then uh kind of put that against how maybe they feel nowadays some songs feel like uh not really quite relevant to today others uh, still feel very in line with that but that's that's what you get when you take uh, 60 years and look at the top 100 all right we're through with the bottom 50 we'll be back with the top 50 next week so join us for the third quarter of this countdown we're gonna go from numbers 50 to 26 if you are a fan of adele uh justin bieber perhaps little marvin gay you want to tune in next week as we scale through some of those hits and uh, hit all of those artists. So, as always, thank you guys for listening. Be sure, again, to check out at Billboard.com. We have a lot of supporting content around the 60th anniversary, a lot of breakout lists, the top 100 artists lists. If you want to cheat and get ahead and figure out who's number one on the all-time songs list, you can do that. We'll take the clicks. And to close us out this week, we want to give you one bonus track, not on the top 100 list, but just something for your listening pleasure. Gary has got this week's selection. Fire away. Well, I feel like last week we started a trend, I guess, if uh, one episode can be a trend. But we played a new song from Paul McCartney. So kind of nice to take all these artists uh, on this chart with the past hits and and see what they're doing now. So uh, not out as long as Paul McCartney. But since uh, since we talked so much about Megan Trainor before, she's uh, rising on Billboard's pop songs chart right now with Let You Be Right. So let's uh, have Megan close things out here on the Billboard Chart Podcast this week. Love me. Love me, don't forget you love me When I break things, make things a little bit uncomfy Baby, don't hate me, you probably think I'm crazy And it's stupid and foolish the way 
Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher, because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait, is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.